This morning, we're taking a pause from what we have been looking at, and I felt compelled over the course of this past week in regard to just everything going on, the news we hear, everything, uh, just looking at the words that Christ says in regard to fear. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 26. It's not a long portion of Scripture, but in Matthew chapter 10, you, you basically see Christ encouraging us to be people who give up fear and get on with life. And by life, I mean the new life that we have in Him. And He emphasizes these things as we look at these verses from His Word. So Matthew chapter 10, starting with verse 26, that's where we're at this morning. And this is what it states. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father, who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the counsel and the comfort that you give to us through it. Lord, it's, it's amazing how much over the course of our lives we learn to appreciate you, and we learn to appreciate what you've communicated. But Lord, your word, the truth of your word, the things that you've revealed to us become extra important to us and extra special when we're in the midst of a season when the things that we're, we're claiming to believe actually get tested. So, Lord, we're grateful for the privilege to be able to find rest and find comfort and find hope in you and to take courage from the things that you communicate to us in your word. And we pray, Lord, that in the midst of all the things that we wrestle with on a daily basis, the things that sometimes cloud our minds, the things that weigh down our hearts, the things that even in recent days have prompted us to experience worry or fear. We pray that your word and the truth of it would serve as an antidote and that we would ultimately be encouraged in our walk with you as we meditate on the things that you've said to us. So we commit this time to you now, Lord. We're grateful for it, and we're grateful uh, just to be able to spend some time looking at your word together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look through the scriptures, you'll find two different forms of fear mentioned. And one of those forms of fear is healthy, and the other form of fear that's mentioned in the scriptures is uh, a detriment to our life and faith. So one is good, one is healthy and good, a healthy and good form of fear. The other is extremely detrimental. The healthy kind of fear that scripture makes reference to in multiple occasions is referred to as the fear of God. And sometimes that's a statement that I think has us scratching our head a little bit because we think, wait a second, does God want me to fear Him? Why would God want me to fear Him? But yet Scripture speaks about this idea of the fear of God. And when the term fear is being used in a context like that, it's speaking about reverence. 
It's speaking about awe. Sometimes I even think about, you know, like that kind of fear is the, the, the type of fear that you know, growing up I, I would have for uh, my earthly father or my earthly grandfathers. You know, I, I, I had this thought in my mind, well, I, I have to also put my grandmothers in that list too because I know that if those people, you know, would, would, would just look at me and say this or that, and I have to tell you, my grandmother, she was a small lady and she had very arthritic hands and her fingers were really crooked for most of the time that I had the privilege to know her. And she had three sons, and they all grew to be a lot bigger than her. But when she would take one of those fingers and point, everyone just said, yes, and obeyed. And we learned to follow that example because she wasn't messing around. <laughs> and that was the way, you know, and I look at that, and it's like, okay, I was absolutely convinced that I was loved by her or loved by my father or loved by my grandparents in general, uh, loved by my mother. You know, these people are, are people in my life growing up. I, I know they love me, but at the same time, you develop a healthy reverence, a healthy respect, and in our relationship with God, a healthy sense of awe. So that's the good kind of fear that Scripture makes reference about. The fear of God, it's a healthy respect that acknowledges His great power. It acknowledges His great authority. And we're encouraged to live in that kind of fear, to practice that kind of reverence and respect because it's healthy. That's actually a kind of fear that we, could, we should experience intentionally every single day that we live. But the other kind of fear that Scripture speaks about is an unhealthy terror or an unhealthy dread related to either people or circumstances. And you'll see both in the Scripture that we're looking at today. But it's an unhealthy terror, an unhealthy dread related to people, related to circumstances that we don't have the ability to control. Don't you wish you could control more things than you can control? Sometimes I, well, every, every day of my life, I think I wish I could control more than I could actually control. And sometimes when we discover and admit to ourselves, this is out of my control and this is out of my control, we really start to wrestle with anxiety or we start to wrestle with sometimes an irrational form of fear. It's not a healthy form to live in, but we've all experienced it. But what ends up happening if you live in that unhealthy form of fear for too long, what you end up doing is you start forgetting God's sovereign ability to work out His will in every kind of circumstance the most bleak or the most mundane form of circumstances. The unhealthy kind of fear that some of us wrestle with on a regular basis, that unhealthy kind of fear, it produces anxiety in our lives because it makes us think that we have to try and do God's job for Him or that, or that we try, have to try and somehow control the type of things that only God Himself can control. And I think that God wants us to give up the unhealthy fear. I don't think that's something he wants our hearts to latch onto. So with that in mind, how do we give that fear up? How do we eradicate that from our life? How do we move past it? You know, what do we need to know? What do we need to, or, what do we need to practice in order to live a life of faith and not fear? Well, there's multiple portions of Scripture that speak of those details, but today I just wanted to look at the one that I read just a few moments ago from Matthew chapter 10, because in this portion of Scripture, Jesus shows us many things about common areas or common sources of unhealthy fear. And one of the things that he tells us in this section is it's kind of starting out in verses 26 and 27 of, of Matthew 10, is that the truth will be brought to light. And he's saying this because he's showing us as the truth is brought to light, unhealthy fear starts to lose its power. 
Look at what he says in verse 26 of Matthew 10, and then verse 27 as well. He says, so have no fear of them. So in this context, he's talking about people, right? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Now let me pause there for just a moment and, uh, and ask this. Are there people in your life, maybe recently or maybe people from even years ago, that you have found personally intimidating? People that you found either had an intimidating way they carried themselves or intimidating personality. Um, have you ever met people that, as a pattern, they tried to intimidate others? You know, there are multiple people that I, I have met over the course of my life that I think, okay, I, I feel like they intentionally try to intimidate others. And when people are doing that, what do they typically do? Sometimes you, you find that they stand uncomfortably close to people when they're talking to them. Sometimes they raise their voice. Sometimes they become unfairly critical of whoever their current target happens to be. And why do they do that? When they're trying to intimidate somebody, when they're, they're trying to produce fear, why are they doing that? It's done typically as an attempt to assert themselves, influence others to bend to their will, and then eventually get whatever they're seeking. And I used to find people who took that kind of posture more intimidating than I do now. And I think that that's just the natural progression of life. You know, I think over the course of, of time, you start to see a little bit beyond some of those tactics. I've actually come to realize that that kind of behavior is not a sign of confidence. It's actually a display of insecurity. It's a display of uncertainty. And sometimes it's a display of sinful motives. And there are people that do that all the time, but it's not common to our generation, or unique, I should say, to our generation. It's something that's been common all throughout the course of history. And in this portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, in Matthew chapter 10, as Jesus was preparing his disciples for the nature of the ministry that he was entrusting to them, he warned them that they were about to encounter people who would attempt to work against them, who would attempt to intimidate them, and who would attempt to, to influence them to feel afraid. But Jesus told his followers not to fear people like this, no matter what kind of pressure or no matter what kind of pain they attempted to inflict. Why didn't Christ's disciples need to fear? Well, when you look at what he says here, he, he shows them they don't need to fear because they're aligned with the truth. Sin and poor motives cannot stand to be brought into the light. They resist it because they can't tolerate the, the scrutiny that comes from being exposed. So Jesus was clear when you look at what he says here, when he says, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be shown. So what he's saying is that in time, all truth is going to be made known. Motives will be made plain. Uh, that which he has favored will also be made plain. And in this context here, he also encouraged his disciples not to be fearful to ever share what he had taught them. You know, they had spent time with him. They were continuing to spend time with him. And he didn't want them to ever be fearful to share what he had taught them. So these men were blessed with the unique privilege. And I, sometimes I think of this, and it's hard not to be jealous, this idea of being able to, to spend that time day in and day out for several years being taught visibly and audibly by Jesus in the context that they were in. But they had, they had the unique privilege to observe Jesus, to live with him, 
to be taught by him, and it went on for several years. They heard sermons that he delivered to large groups. They heard messages that he shared when there were just a few of them around. And Jesus encouraged them to make it all known, to let it all be known. Let as many people know about this, you know, every conversation we've had, every large element of teaching, let it all be made known. Whatever they heard him say, they were encouraged to bring it to the light, to tell others so that they could also be encouraged by the truth. They were encouraged to make it readily available so that others could come to know him, to know him by faith, to know him in a deeper way like that initial group of disciples certainly did. Reminds me of what we're told in Romans chapter 10. I'll just show it to us real quick. In Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 15, it says, how can they call on him whom they have not believed, and how, can, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, we're coming into a season of time where, um, you know, it's like open sandal season, right? Not everybody should wear open sandals, you know? There's some guys I know that really just stick with the sneaker. I'm going to say just stick with the sneaker, you know. And uh, that's kind of uh, what Christ was even bringing at here because in our context, we have pavement. We have nice, comfy shoes. Yesterday, I was teaching for a uh, group of pastors, and I was standing for almost four hours. And I had the foresight to think about, wait, what are my most comfortable shoes? Wear those because I'm going to be standing for four hours. Those feel like cushions. Wear those so that you're not hurting afterward. And, uh, but in their context, you know, people are wearing sandals, people are wearing, you know, shoes that are mainly open, they're walking on roads that aren't necessarily paved, they're walking on roads that they share with animals. It was customary when you came in a house that whoever was the lowest person on, you know, uh, in status in that house would then wash the feet of the guests as they came in. And what are they washing off? They're washing off mud, they're washing off dirt, they're washing off garbage, uh, they're washing off animal waste, they're cleaning it all off. And what does the scripture say? The scripture is trying to point out a part of the body that particularly in their culture, people just kind of, they considered it pretty much the grossest part of the human body in the culture at the time this was being written. And the scripture is teaching us what? Even the feet of people that are bringing good news seem beautiful. You know, as they come to you, as they take the time to come to you to bring the good news, even feet. That's what the scripture is saying. And it's encouraging us to be people who take this to heart and use every opportunity that we have to make the gospel known. I'm grateful that in the stretch of time that we're in right now, where there's so much fear that's gripped so many people that we have the opportunity to record a podcast, that we have the opportunity to live stream with our brothers and sisters watching the live stream, that we have the opportunity to utilize so many things that are, that are, are, are at our disposal to make the good news known. I look at what's going on as a great opportunity to magnify that. This is a wonderful opportunity for us as believers in Jesus Christ to give the world a reason for hope. Our reason for hope is Jesus Christ who supersedes all circumstances. The world needs the same hope that our hearts have latched onto. Right now is a great opportunity to make that hope known. And Jesus was encouraging his disciples to, to basically not just do that in special opportunities, but to take their life and say, all right, I'm going to use my whole life for this. My whole life is going to be spent 
testifying to the goodness of Jesus Christ, making his words known, bringing to the light the things that our dark hearts need to latch onto. This is counsel that we as believers in this era should also latch onto and take to heart. Because it's likely at times you're going to experience some people who will not jump at joy, or jump for joy, I guess the saying goes, right? They won't jump for joy uh, at the message that you're trying to share, the message of Christ, the message of his teaching. Just the same, continue to share. But be wise in how you speak. Season your conversation with talk of Christ and his work in your life. Testify to his goodness. Fill your home with pictures of Bible verses so even company as they come to your home have the opportunity to read the scripture just by virtue of being in your house. If you're worried about coming across too preachy, sometimes I think about this. Think, do I come across too preachy? But then I think, well, you're a preacher. So does it just mean you're putting in overtime if you come across too preachy? I don't know. Uh, But sometimes I wonder about things like this, and I think, you know what? My desire is to use whatever element of conversation the Lord's giving me to simply express my thankfulness for who He is, for how He's answered prayer in my life, the gracious provision that He's given me, the needed encouragement He's shared with me, and then out of that overflow that He's just continuing to pour into me and to you, we're called to just let that overflow be, be a blessing to those that He places in our lives. A large percentage of our lives, particularly in this era, is spent communicating. We're always communicating. So let's make sure that a large percentage of what we communicate allows others to experience Christ and hear about Him and see Him. And Jesus was saying, first off, you know, when we're talking about fear, He's saying, don't be afraid to do that in any context you're in in any trial, in any circumstance, never be afraid to testify to what you've heard from me. Then he takes it a little bit, a little bit further, and he wants us to understand something, particularly when we're individually struggling with fear that may not even seem rational. And that's this idea of never minimizing your value to God. Never minimize your value to God. Look at what it says in verse 28 down to verse 30. Jesus said this. He said, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Let me pause there for just a second. Uh, One of our lesser-known presidents was a man named Benjamin Harrison. Anyone familiar with that name, Benjamin Harrison? Some, I guess most of us probably are, probably some aren't. Uh, But Benjamin Harrison actually lived in the White House when electricity was first installed in the White House. So what do you think that would be like if you were were there? If you'd never experienced that your whole life, it's been candles or maybe gaslighting, things of that nature. Uh, But now all of a sudden, electricity is installed. He and his wife were totally freaked out by it. It seemed like like spooky magic to them. And uh, they got to a point where they decided, we're not even going to touch a light switch. So he wouldn't touch a light switch, which got a little awkward because at times people would leave lights on in the White House and they'd be walking around and they got to a point where if one of the the staff members or a servant or somebody working in the White House didn't turn off lights for them at night, they'd just go to bed at night with all the lights on because they're like, we're not touching those light switches. We're not touching that. That electricity stuff 
That seems pretty freaky. What were you afraid of when you were a child? Think about that for a second. All sorts of things, right? There are probably a few things on your list. I was pretty fearful during one stretch as a child. I have a very active imagination. <laughs> I, had, uh, I imagined some really like worst-case scenarios, and I remember at one, po- one point my parents kind of tried to become protective of, of that because they thought, all right, he's really freaking himself out. Um, there was actually a study, and I think this is hilarious because it was a study that was done at the time I was a child, and it was done by Johns Hopkins University. And I just found this recently, but the study was done when I was a child. It was a study that was done, um, let's see, the date on it, I would have been three or four years old when this study was done. And this is what the study said. It it reported that that during that time, the greatest fears of children, and and specifically they talked to grade school children, the, the greatest fears of grade school children during that time when I was a child were these five things. Animals. So was anyone afraid of animals when you were a kid? I was not. I should have been, but I wasn't. <laughs> uh, being in a dark room. That's terrifying. That's terrifying, right? High places. Does that freak anyone out? That probably freaks out some adults still too, right? Yeah, some of you are uh, very affirmative on that one. Strangers. I think kids are universally kind of freaked out by certain strangers. Uh, some kids really aren't at all, though, as I think about it. Uh, loud noises. I think loud noises still freak me, me out a little bit. A few weeks ago, we had uh, the microphone let, let out this loud crackle, and, I didn't, and it was so loud, it came through the, the, mic, uh, the speakers here as I was speaking. And I even looked back at the live stream afterward. I looked at the recording because I thought, I wonder how visibly I jolted and if the church noticed that. And then I looked back and timed it to see if I could find it at that spot, and I thought, oh, that's terrifying that I did that in front of the church. (laughs) It totally took me off guard. I just went like this, and I paused for a second, then had to remember my place where I was speaking. I was like, what was I saying? So loud noises scare adults, too, but apparently a few decades ago, it scared children also. So I say that, you know, Benjamin Harrison, his fear of electricity, children and their fears. Obviously, you see where I'm going with this. Uh, What's your greatest fear? Think about it just for a second, just in your own mind. You don't have to call it out. What's your greatest fear? And my follow-up question to that is this. How much time do you spend worrying about what others might do to you or worrying about things that might happen to you that are completely out of your control? You know, if you had to quantify that over the course of a day or even a week, How much time do you worry about what others might do to you or what might happen to you that's completely out of your control? Is it a little bit? Is it somewhere in between? Is it a lot? Is it seasonal? You know, maybe at certain seasons of life you worry more and other seasons of life your fear index seems to be a little less. During the era that Jesus was ministering in, as well as, you know, we should also say the centuries that that came right after that, Christians were regularly threatened because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Some were threatened with, their lo- with the loss of their homes. Some were threatened with the loss of their jobs. Some were threatened with punishment. Some were threatened with imprisonment. Others were threatened with death, just for proclaiming openly their, fear, or their, their love for Christ without fear. And yet Jesus reminded His followers that we don't need to fear those or that which only has the power to kill the body. 
Your life does not need to consist of an all-consuming fear of people or things that have the power to kill your body. If that's all they have the power to do, that does not need to be your greatest fear. Jesus reminded us here that those things or those people cannot kill the soul. They cannot take your eternal life from you. He's saying here, if you're going to fear anyone, it should be God. But the fear of God you have should be a healthy reverence that shows respect for His power. So the truth is, we're of great value to God. That's what Jesus is trying to get at here. He wants us to understand this. He wants us to know this. But sadly, I don't know that we're always as convinced of this as we ought to be. And I think it's ironic that we as Christians can theologically acknowledge that God the Father sent God the Son to this earth to die in our place, demonstrating with the greatest example possible that we have great value to Him, and yet we struggle to believe in God's protective power when our faith is actually being tested. We acknowledge our value to God theologically, and yet we struggle to really believe we have value to God emotionally. And I do believe that disconnect needs to be rectified. So Jesus attempted to address that issue with what he was teaching in this passage. And he referenced two interesting things here that obviously on the surface don't appear to have all that much value. He references sparrows, and he references hair. And it's kind of interesting when you look at that, because even before giving the context, we're maybe familiar already with what Jesus said about these things. But if it was your first time hearing these things, you'd think, okay, wait a second, his examples are sparrows and hair. Sparrows and hair. Those aren't things that we necessarily value all that much. By the way, speaking of birds, it's barely spring, and already they've decided to decorate my driveway. I was talking to... uh, Uh, one of the members of our church this morning after I saw that they had visited his vehicle as well, and we were talking about the fact that it looks like maybe some local birds are having a a paintball war or something this week. Not exactly certain, but I will say this, they don't feel very valuable to me right now. (laughs) They don't feel very valuable to me right now. I was grateful for the rain last night, took care of some of their mess. Sometimes I find myself enjoying the birds, and other times I'm like, all right, birds, give it a break. Use some discretion. And when it comes to hair, recently I bought an attachment for my car vac. I like keeping my car vacuumed, and I bought an attachment that's really good at cleaning up hair, and it works out really well, and I'm really, really pleased with that, and it's interesting because I guess I, at least in my life, I have more value on getting rid of hair that, that has fallen out than on hair that is staying put, and then you look at what Jesus says here, and he says, that a sparrow doesn't die without God taking notice, and that the very hairs of our head are numbered by him. That an inconsequential sparrow does not die without God taking notice, and the very hairs on our heads, or your eyebrows, or your beard, or the nearly invisible hairs in your ear that pick up sound waves, or whatever it may be, that the Lord has it all numbered, the hair on your arms, some of you the hair on your back, you know? It's all numbered, right? It's all numbered. And Christ tells us, a sparrow doesn't fall without the Lord taking notice. The very heads of our hair are numbered. What's the point? What's the point of him saying this? 
Why does he say this? It's become a familiar saying. It's something that if you've grown up in the church, I know you've heard it before, but let's think about it in a personal way in the context we're in right now. What's the point of him saying this? Well, he's telling us we don't need to live in fear because we are more valuable to God than birds and hair and every single thing that's on the face of this earth. There's nothing on the face of this earth that he has created in his image like he's created humanity, like he's created us. We're created in his image. God sees us. He notices everything about us. He loves us, and he holds our lives securely in his hands. And what Christ is trying to communicate in the words that he uses in this passage is that we should never minimize our value to God. Because if you get to a point in your life where you minimize your value to God, when you start thinking that God doesn't notice me, He doesn't care about my trials, He doesn't care about what I'm going through right now, all that does is it produces that irrational, unhealthy fear that becomes anxiety, that becomes worry, that becomes doubt of His sovereign power, and it takes us in a very unhealthy direction. And he encourages us in his word through these examples that if God notices this thing that seems inconsequential and this thing that seems inconsequential, don't you think he's going to notice you who are consequential to him, who do have lasting value in his kingdom, who he sent his son to this earth to die in your place? What more can he say or do to convince us that we have value to him? If we minimize our value to God, we will walk in fear. If we minimize our value to God, we will live a life that's very absent of the kind of faith He wants us to demonstrate. Whether it's the trials of today, the trials of this week, the trials of this month, or the trials of 10 years from now, never minimize your value to God. If He notices a bird... He notices you. And Jesus shows us one other thing. And I think it matters in times of testing in particular, but it always matters. And that's this, make your true loyalty known. Well, why am I saying that? Look at what he says in verse 32 and 33. He says, so everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. In heaven. So most days of the week, I tend to wear a ball cap, almost every day. I, sometimes I joke with myself, it's a good day if I don't have to comb my hair. That's like one of the mottos that uh, I say to myself. <laughs> my hair is not a very cooperative, uh, it's like fishing wire, you know, and it takes, takes work to actually make it look like a haircut. <laughs> I wish it didn't, but it really does. And so I always say to myself, it's like, all right, it's a good day if I don't have to comb my hair. And uh, so I wear a ball cap most days of the week. Um, that hasn't worked its way into Sunday morning yet, but, you know, we'll see. Just kidding. I would never dare. Uh, But most of the time, you know, I've got a couple favorite hats, and one of my favorites is my Eagles cap. I bought it a few years ago, and it's just the right fit. It's a particular brand, and I've never been able to find this same hat since. It made me wish I bought several of them because it's starting to get older, and I've noticed something. If I wear it locally here, people look at it, especially on a Monday during football season, and, I, you know, back when we were allowed to do so, we'd all high-five and, you know, we'd congratulate each other and talk. And we'd have something to say about yesterday's game or possibly that night's game. Locally, it's fine. But if I go over into New York or New Jersey and I wear that cap, 
People are like, hmm, I don't know what I think about that guy. If I go to the other side of the state over into Pittsburgh, you know what happens to me over there? I've got a lot of friends over in Pittsburgh. Maybe some are on the live stream. Hello, Pittsburgh people. Um, you know what they like to say when we go over there? They like to talk about how many Super Bowl rings they have versus how many Super Bowl rings we have. Now, I can flip that conversation around and say, who's got the more recent one? <gasps> I don't know. But regardless, wherever you go, you know, some places you go, people don't really like that hat. And some places you go, people like it. But the truth is, a true Eagles fan is willing to wear their colors in hostile territory, okay? And so I have lived it, and I'm not just saying it blindly here. Now, I realize that Jesus was not talking about football franchises. He wasn't talking about team colors in this passage, but he actually is making a related point. And when you look at what he says here, the words of Christ in this passage invite us not to be afraid to make our true loyalty to him known. Don't be afraid to make your true loyalty to Christ known. If, if we're brought before a council and examined, don't deny him. You know, if we're questioned by a friend, don't deny him. If we're threatened with the possibility of death or imprisonment, don't deny him. If you're threatened with so, social isolation because you bear the name of Christ, don't deny him. Be willing to acknowledge your loyalty to Christ in both favorable and in hostile circumstances. Never fear to share about the hope that he's given you. I like the fact that at this point in my life, even if I wanted to deny Christ, there's way too much evidence uh, to, to the contrary now that I, I really couldn't, right? I really couldn't, you know, between everything we record with the church, everything that I've put out online. Uh, yesterday, I was speaking to a group of pastors up in the Tamaqua area, and there were about 40 uh, pastors and other church leaders that were there in the room, and I didn't know this was going to happen, but local media showed up, and uh, in the middle of me speaking, and I'm kind of pointing to my slides, and I'm talking about some training things, local media show up, and they're taking pictures. There's a guy in the aisle taking pictures, and I'm trying to act natural, but in my mind, I'm thinking, probably every picture he takes, my face is like this. You know, like the awkward pause that always seems to happen right when a picture is being taken. And then I see a, a guy in the back of the room videoing it, and then do it. he did an interview with me at lunch. And I thought, okay, didn't know that this was going to happen. It's going to be on local TV in that area. So that was nice. But it also guarantees that there is no secret. He asked, what are you speaking about? And I, I was talking about the fact that, I, that uh, ultimately, you know, we're looking at what it means to be Christ-centered churches and what it looks like to, to model the gospel in the context of our communities and develop health in our local churches. So there's really no secret about... Oh, and he also asked me, he, he said, and, and what, do you have a personal website? What's your website? And I said, yes, my website's desirejesus.com. Is there any secret about the fact that we're followers of Christ? Is there any secret? You know, there's a, it, it, can't, it can't be there. But, but I remember when I was a new Christian... I remember at times having a little bit of fear of that because I was more fearful of how people might react, and I was afraid that in acknowledging Christ, that guaranteed I was going to be alone. I thought, you acknowledge Christ, you're going to be alone. You're going to be avoided. I remember in my teenage years when I became serious about my walk with Christ, I remember right before 10th grade started, that was the, the pivotal time in my life, giving myself a pep talk right before that, that school year began, thinking, okay, you know, this is a year where you're really going to be serious about your faith, and you have to be prepared for the loss of friendship that might come with that. 
And I remember really struggling with that at that season of life, thinking, oh, I'm really fearful of what that's going to mean. I don't want to be the guy that's by himself. I want to have friends. And I thought, nope, I, 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 just need, I need to be kind to all people, but I need to be serious about my faith. And there are certain things I can't indulge in and certain things I can't be part of. And uh, hopefully people will understand, but if they don't, I've got to stay strong. And you know what was interesting? I ended that school year with more friends than I had at the beginning. And it was fascinating to me how the opposite of what I was fearful of is actually what happened. I was fascinated. I've actually shared about it with my children who are all teenagers. So many times they're probably sick of hearing it. But I discovered at the end of the year when I lived out my faith, the end result was people who didn't even share my faith at least respected that. And here Christ is encouraging us, you don't have to be fearful. He's not promising us it's always going to be easy. He's not promising us that there, are, that there may not be earthly consequences in certain contexts for proclaiming your faith in Him. But at the same time, He's saying, listen, don't deny me before men. Don't deny me before men. You will show that your faith in me is genuine if you don't deny me before men. So let me say this as we finish up. In this portion of Scripture, we have Christ talking about fear from multiple directions. Unhealthy fear is something that holds us back from living the kind of life that Christ wants us to live. But He invites us to give up that kind of fear and to get on with the life that He's graced us with, to get on with the life that He's called us to live. We don't need to live in fear because He's going to bring the truth to light. He tells us we don't need to live in fear because we know we are of great value to Him. We don't need to live in fear because He will, he will acknowledge all who genuinely trust in Him before the Father. So let me say this as we finish up. Be wise. Be alert. But give up fear and get on with living. Our life in Christ is something that's a gift. And in moments like this right now, the life that you have in Christ is something that has the opportunity to shine a little extra bright. Thank Him for that life. Thank Him for the fact that He has enabled us to see beyond any momentary circumstance. Our joy is not anchored to whatever's going on around us. We have faith in Him, and that faith has resulted in Him taking the fear. If we want Him to take it, He'll take the fear so that we could walk in such a way that we proclaim Him and shine His lights in the midst of a culture that needs that light right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that we could look at a portion of Scripture like this today and just be reminded of something that we're familiar with, but also at the same time our ears hear these things differently or maybe freshly when we're in the midst of a context that's a little bit different than normal. And so since that's what life is like right now, we pray, Lord, that we would be refreshed in a new way as we look at these things. Lord, we pray that you'd encourage the hearts of our church family and our community, our state, our nation, our world. We pray, Lord, that your gospel would be proclaimed and lived out. We pray that we would never shy away from giving the reason for hope that you've given us. Lord Jesus, you are our reason for hope. 
So we thank you that we can give you our irrational fears. We thank you for the privilege to live in awe and in reverence of you. And we thank you for the opportunities that you give to us to make that known in every context that you place us in. Lord, we pray that you'd encourage someone's heart today and that when we need it, that we'd come back to your words that you've communicated in Matthew chapter 10, and that our hearts would be refreshed by these truths over and over and over. And we're grateful for all these things. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.